This is the 2010 Jack Straw Writers Program. We'll hear writer Brian James Barr in discussion with program curator Jared Lysing. A sentence could be a living thing in your head, like a piece of jazz, in a way, where every time you would read that sentence, it always sounds different. I think that music plays a, a huge role in everything that I write. And I, and I do it even with, uh, with first sentences. I try to make first sentences just be a, a nice, concise, quick, you know, almost like a symbol or a snare, you know, tap just to kickstart things. Now we'll hear Brian's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. I'm going to read a story that, uh, um, well, it, it's uh, semi-autobiographical, but it, it didn't happen to me. And uh, I don't think it happened to anyone else in this room either, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. So this is called, It Was Nothing Really. It was nothing really, baby. Seriously, nothing. He painted himself into a corner. Now Andy Waldron's wife, Lisa, was standing in the kitchen with tears in her eyes. The light was crisp coming through the windows. It was morning in January. You did it too, remember, he said. That's why I brought this whole thing up. No response. She kept staring at this spot on the floor. Christ, you're stubborn as a bull, he said. Say something for fuck's sake. Well, there's another cliche, she said. What was that? Just then, Sissy, the couple's cat, pranced into the kitchen. Stubborn as a cat, Andy said. How about that? Is that better? Lisa bent to pet Sissy. She spoke to her in a low, soft voice. She often spoke to the cat this way because she'd read it was soothing to animals. Andy couldn't make out a word of what she was saying, but at least she was saying something. Last night was Andy's birthday. At first, they elected not to celebrate in a big way. For one, it fell on a weeknight but they wound up at Champions for happy hour anyway. Friends were phoned. Some even found babysitters at last minute. The waitress moved the party to a bigger booth. By 10 o'clock, they were sufficiently drowned in cocktails and appetizers. Dish, Andy's college roommate, had bought a round of Hornitos for everyone. Someone cued excitable boy on the jukebox. Rick, Lisa's brother, was so drunk he played air guitar and spilled dosa keys on his jeans. Eventually, the only people left were Andy, Lisa, the friends Todd and Jennifer, and Lisa's friend Will. Conversation turned intimate. They summoned the waitress to bring glasses of water. Todd and Jennifer were great friends, but Andy harbored suspicions about Will. The guy was single and wore turtlenecks. Worse yet, he sported fancy eyeglasses. Lisa got to know this Will years ago through her internship at the local cultural center. Will was the center's director. Because she strolled through the Arboretum during her lunch hour, Lisa often ran into Will, who also spent his lunches there. Like her, he was interested in books. But after enough time, Will opened up to her about a kind of abuse he suffered in his past, one that she too experienced as a girl. Andy was well aware that they shared this pain, so it was fine with him that they lean on each other. Andy was sympathetic to Lisa, but sympathy only went so far. Lisa needed someone who not only listened, but understood. For this reason alone, Andy was cool with her meeting Will now and then for coffee on Saturdays or exchanging gift, gifts with him on the holidays. Todd and Jennifer got up to leave, and hugs were exchanged. Thanks so much, you two, Lisa called to them as they exited. Will was studying the bill, his pretty eyeglasses perched on the end of his nose. 
Andy stood up and said, Lisa, you figure out what we owe. I'm too damn drunk. He excused himself from the table and made for the restroom. Standing astride the urinal, swaying back and forth, Andy thought about Will and Lisa there at the table alone. The thing was, he knew Lisa wouldn't do anything, but, being drunk as he was, couldn't help but be consumed by a certain jealousy, one he'd experienced around Will before and found mildly comical. In a way, he almost wished he could someday catch the guy making a pass for his old lady. Then he'd have a good reason to punch his lights out. But deep down, he knew Lisa was too devoted, and Will was too much of a pansy. Andy always figured him for a queer anyway. But no, Lisa said Will talked about girls at work, and Andy could recall several times catching him looking at girls' asses in bars. But still, that turtleneck and those eyeglasses. <laughs> Andy zipped up and returned to the table. Winding his way through the dining area, he could see Lisa's face turned towards Will's. She was looking into his eyes. Andy couldn't tell for sure, but from the way their arms were placed on the cushion of the booth, they could have been holding hands. He thought about coughing loudly or bumping into a chair, something to jerk them out of their little moment. But Lisa spotted him and readjusted herself. So, was all Andy could think to say upon reaching the table. Saying goodnight in the parking lot, Andy made sure things were awkward. Lisa and Will hugged goodbye. Andy kept hollering at her to hurry up and unlock the fucking door, it's cold. Will made for his little Mazda and said a sincere happy birthday to Andy. Uh-huh, Andy said, not looking up. The drive home was strange. Lisa was mad at Andy. He had been cold to Will. Knowing his wife well, Andy made a mental checklist of what she did when she was angry with him. Then he'd look over at her to make sure she was actually doing those things. The self-righteous upward tilt of chin, the stiffening of her jaw as if she was pondering something she'd read earlier, and the blinking of her eyes in little flurries like some mediocre sitcom actress. And no talking, of course. Feeling drunk and surly, Andy rolled down his window. He stuck his head out partially. Can you roll that up, please? She finally said. Why? Because it's freezing, Andy. Come on. Under his breath, he told her to shut the fuck up. And that night, he slept on the couch. <laughs> Three years ago, something happened to Andy. He worked for a company called DGR Events. His job was developing registration code for the corporate events DGR planned and managed, one of them being the annual partner conference for Illumin, a giant software firm. Every year, Andy was flown to be on hand at this event. One year it was in Orlando, another year Atlanta, always someplace muggy and hideous. Three years ago, the event was in San Antonio. He loathed the attendees. The week in San Antonio was one of air-conditioned rooms, choked with banquet food, foul breath, hyperactive women, and clueless men. The women, however, were there to impress, which meant they wore things they probably shouldn't have. Andy spent most of his time in the back of the room, surveying the goods, telling himself there's nothing wrong with looking. He and Lisa communicated often. She'd call in the mornings to chat. They had no children, so they talked about work, or about something one of them had seen online or on TV. She texted photos of Sissy sometimes, and he'd laugh. She asked about San Antonio and what did the Alamo look like, but his tourism was limited to the hotel lobby Starbucks and the TGI Fridays in the lounge. His third day at the conference, he saw a woman in line at the Starbucks. It was barely after dawn. The woman had an oval face and big eyes and hair that framed her face in a way that warmed him. The next day, he saw her again and she smiled. She was wearing the Illumin badge around her neck, 
proof she was there for the partner conference, which to Andy meant they had something they could talk about. Later that night, in his room, his mind whirled with thoughts of this woman. He pictured her smiling at him the way she did earlier in line. He pictured her at the foot of the bed removing her bra. He pictured her in the shower. The next morning, he rose early, itching to get to Starbucks. He figured they were both on the same routine, but there was no sight of her. He lingered a bit, flipping through USA Today, and then left. That afternoon, he was informed he'd have to attend a social later that night. The CEO of Illumin was slated to give his annual address. After that, there would be a performance by some minor pop star Andy'd never heard of. Before the social, he retired to his room. No Alamo today either. He took a brief nap instead. He texted Lisa, I love you, then hopped in the shower. He had time to kill, so he went to TGI Fridays for a beer. The Steelers were in the playoffs against New England. He watched the game on the flat screen. After a bit, he ordered another beer and stood up to stretch his legs, killing time. He looked around, yawning. Then he spotted the woman, the one from Starbucks. She was at a table with her co-workers, laughing. At the sight of her, he had that feeling he remembered having around girls in high school. The Steelers were getting their asses handed to them, but Willie Parker just knocked off a 30-yard run on second down. Still, the woman distracted him. Eventually, she got up from her table and walked past him to the bathroom. When they made eye contact, Andy smiled. She smiled back, tucking her hair behind her ear. He'd read in a men's magazine years ago that when women did that with their hair, it meant they were interested. <laughs> he narrowed his eyes quizzically and pointed at her. Starbucks, right? The rest of the night was interesting. This woman, she was gregarious, funny, and knew someone everywhere she went. Earlier at TGI Fridays, he'd learned she was in sales, which made sense. Unlike Lisa, he had nothing in common with this woman. She was from Ohio, for one. Worse yet, she hated the Steelers. She was also jazzed about this pop star performing later. When Andy told her he hadn't heard of this singer before the woman, he'd since learned her name was Jackie, slapped her palm in the bar in disbelief, saying, Hello, don't say a word. You've never heard that song? Still, Jackie was good-looking. She was flirtatious. He wanted to bury his face in her chest. At the social, he wished for nothing more than a chance to slide into bed with her. During the CEO's speech, Jackie looked back at him and raised her eyebrows to suggest boredom. Andy rolled his eyes and faked a yawn in return. Then the pop star sprinted onto stage and everyone cheered. When the show was over and he was packing away his equipment, Andy felt a hand on his back. Do you want to meet Tesha? Jackie whispered. Who? he said. Oh my god, she said, taking a step back. Tesha, the girl just on stage singing? Oh, right, sorry, I forgot her name. Well, she reminded us like nine times in that one song. He followed Jackie across the ballroom to the side of the stage where there was a black curtain. A security guard nodded at Jackie to go on through, but blocked Andy's entry. Sorry, buddy, friends and family only. Jackie grabbed Andy's hand and told the guard, It's cool, he's my fiancé. But Jackie didn't let go of Andy's hand after that. Instead, she curled her fingers firmly around his. He could smell her hair. In the pop star's crowded dressing room, Jackie found a space for them to sit. She positioned herself so that her outer thigh was resting partially on his. She placed his hand on a spot right above her knee. Andy hadn't been this close to another woman in over a decade. He felt the thickness of her leg. For most of the night, however, she ignored him. She struck up conversations with complete strangers, making small talk in a boastful, queenly way. 
Andy had never met someone like Jackie before and really didn't think he cared for her at all. He decided she was annoying and noticed others found her annoying too. <laughs> he ached for Lisa, but she was hundreds of miles away, whereas Jackie was right here beside him. And he could feel her, and it felt so good to feel her that it made him weak. But nothing happened. Jackie kept running her fucking mouth at people until Andy grew tired and said he had to be up early. She wasn't through partying, though, so she walked him to the exit doors. She placed his hand right above the fold of her breasts, and he didn't pull away. She was looking into his eyes, saying something, but he didn't give a shit what it was. She was too awful to want to kiss, and too much work to want to sleep with. That much was obvious, even at 2 a.m. on a Sunday in San Antonio, Texas. Lisa poured herself a cup of coffee, and then poured the rest of it down the drain. Normally, she would leave enough in the pot for Andy to have a cup, but not this morning. He set about making a new batch for himself. Sissy was perched in a patch of sunshine on the edge of the table, cleaning her paws. Honey, Andy said. Mm-hmm, she said. Don't you see? It was nothing. Nothing. So I'm okay with what happened last night. It was totally nothing. She took a sip of coffee and swallowed. Yeah. Well then, so we're even now, right? He said. Another pause. The coffee machine inhaled and exhaled. No, she said. I don't think we are. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2010 curator of this program is Jared Lysing. Music performed by Cynthia Mullis and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure, CJ Lazenby, and Steve DeTore. Narrator is Amy Brimhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts and the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.